Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by our guest speaker. I want to begin with a testimony. And Lord willing, I'm going to end with another testimony. This took place in 1969. Now, for most people, 1969 will be remembered because that's when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon and billions of people all over the world watched it, including me. I love to see it in scratchy black and white. (laughs) To see Neil Armstrong go down the ladder and say, one step for man, but one great leap for mankind. But that wasn't the greatest thing that happened to me in 1969. In 1969, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was a member at that time. I was living in Washington, D.C. I worked at the U.S. Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. I was a member of an Assembly of God church in Washington, D.C. And the pastor of this church encouraged us to go to a meeting, a series of meetings, that was put on by the Full Gospel Businessmen, the International Convention, and they filled out the entire center. And there were all kinds of people speaking there that uh, later had great things that they did for the Lord, like Pat Robertson was sort of a young guy then, but he was speaking there. But the greatest speaker of all was a lady named Catherine Kuhlman. And I had the privilege to sit under her ministry then and three other times, twice in Columbus and once in Israel. And she said, concerning the baptism in the Holy Spirit, many people see the baptism in the Holy Spirit as the ultimate achievement, but it is not. It's a door that leads to so much more when it is opened. So much more. And my life since 1969 bears that out. So we're going to start here by talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new birth, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and particularly the interior aspects of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. First of all, we need to understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together and each has a special role. The first scripture that we have here, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. This is from Psalm 33. Now, the Word of God is the Son of God, who is also Jesus. He spoke the Word that caused the universe to come into being. But the Holy Spirit provided the power for it to happen. And the one who devised the plan is God Almighty. And scientists have discovered that if 
one thing, one thing in the universe was off by 10 to the 40th power, this universe wouldn't be here, none of us would be here, there wouldn't be a planet Earth, we'd never, there'd never be any life in the whole universe. So it's extremely well spoken. Now, I don't want to go on that too much. I don't want to get into that. <clears throat> also, the word ruach here is used in Hebrews, in Hebrew, in this psalm. I'm not real good at speaking it. If I were German, I could probably speak it better. <laughs> but it means two things, breath and spirit. And we're going to be talking here about breath and spirit at, at, at several points in our message here. Let me read the second verse that we have. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, he was declared son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, this is in Romans chapter 1. This is Paul's introduction to his epistle. And the spirit of holiness is just another word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus back from the dead. <clears throat> and before the world was made, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had already worked out a plan of salvation. The Father planned it. The Son executed it. And the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, in my opinion, is one of the greatest things in the entire New Testament. And one of the reasons I believe why the church as a whole in the United States is not doing so well these days is because they don't really understand what happened in the in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how everything has changed as a result of that resurrection. So we're going to start off by talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we want to do that, I want to read a third scripture here. We speak a wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages for our glory, the wisdom. None of the rulers of this age had understood it, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now he's not talking about Pilate. He's not talking about the Sanhedrin. He's talking about the powers and principalities that are in league with the devil. And the devil had been trying to kill Jesus in throughout his entire life, beginning with the, the massacre of the innocent children in Nazareth. No, not Nazareth, Bethlehem. And then, when he went to his hometown of Nazareth to preach, they took him out to the hill. Now, we take speakers out to Bob Evans. <laughs> and the hill is not a restaurant. It was a hill to throw him over. But he escaped. 
Then the Pharisees tried to stone him. But every time they tried to stone him, he got away from them. We see how he brought this woman in that had been caught in adultery. Now, it's kind of striking that they don't mention anything about the man that is called, caught in adultery. It takes a man, too. <clears throat> and Jesus brought such conviction upon these people that they left. But then there came a problem. Judas betrayed Jesus. And the devil said, here it is, we've got it, we've got, we're going to get Jesus this time, this time we're going to get him, we're going to get him crucified too, the worst kind of death that Rome provides. We're going to get him, we're going to get him, I can't hold myself back, we're going to get him, we've got, we've got Judas now, we've got one of his disciples, and when Judas went out of the Last Supper, <clears throat> to, to betray Jesus, the scripture says Satan entered into him. Oh, he was not going to allow this to follow to one of his underlings. He was going to take charge of this and make sure <clears throat> that they brought Jesus to the cross and killed him. But you know, after a while, I bet the old devil realized that he had dropped a clanger. Because Jesus had just died for the sins of the world. But there's still one enemy that can hold him down. The last enemy, which is death. So, all of his powers and all of the principalities were brought against Jesus to keep him down in the grave. Then, inner Holy Spirit, seen right. And all of the powers and principalities and rulers and authorities could not overcome the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was raised from the dead. <laughs> Not only was he restored to life, but he was glorified as we will be glorified someday when he comes again. Now, God had a secret. God had a secret. Isaiah said, Lord, what does this chapter 53 mean? I can't make heads or tails out of it. And God said, no, this is for something in the future. Ezekiel came up with chapter 36. What is this all about? Not for you. Not now. I've got a secret. I've got a secret. I've got a secret plan. You know why generals have secret plans? So their enemies will not know what they're doing. And this is what happened here. God had a secret plan that was not revealed. It was not revealed until after Jesus was raised from the dead. Now what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? The Apostle Paul tells us that he used four words in the Greek language to, to translate as power. 
in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's about, he maxed out the whole language. <laughs> he said everything he could possibly say. So what happened? The fourth scripture we have. When he had divested himself of the authority of Rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> and so on Easter Sunday, we sing the song sometimes, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And this is what has happened here. He stripped off all the powers and principalities and rulers and authorities that were seeking to hold him back, to hold him down into death. But he overcame every last one of them and he made a public display of their weakness that they could not possibly come against his plan and be successful. Remember, no demon can come against God's plan and be successful. Pastor Dwight knows that. And I rejoice in all the healings that you mentioned that you took place there. This was a complete victory. A triumph. After raising from the dead, he led the church in triumph, the scripture says. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 69. Excuse me, 68. Psalm 68 says, Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts in the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. By the way, this is a messianic psalm because he talks about <clears throat> giving gifts to people. And this fits in with the scripture that Pastor Caleb taught a few weeks ago <clears throat> about the, um, the fivefold ministry. It's a messianic psalm. And it's he's speaking of what's going to happen when Jesus is raised from the dead. He probably didn't know it either. It was all mystery. We need to recognize how great is the power of the resurrection. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that this is directed towards us. To us word, the King James says. We need to know that power. We need to know how great is his victory. And I feel that there's a problem here in many of Christian circles in this country that they don't understand the greatness of the power of the victory that has been won. We need to understand that. You know, it is so important when Paul gives his sinner's prayer, you know what he says? He says you must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and you must confess that Jesus is Lord. So you must know 
that Jesus has been risen from the dead. Know in your heart that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And that's a big difference between know it in the mind and know it in the heart. It's all got to get down that extra nine inches to the right place. <clears throat> that's what we need to know. We need to know it in the heart. In our heart. It needs to be written on our hearts what the great victory is that Jesus won when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can anything stop the, the working of God? Nothing can. Secondly, we're going to talk about The new birth. Seventh scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that has caused great mercy and caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ dead. Now we see there's an intimate connection here between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new birth. In other words, you can't be born again unless Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul makes it very plain <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we would be the people in the world. And we would be dying in our sins. But he did rise from the dead. Did rise from the dead. And it is possible for us to be saved. <clears throat> so, the new birth can only come about through the power. Now, Pastor Caleb also spoke recently about Nicodemus. I'm not going to cover exactly what he had to say, but I want to quote something here. Number eight in my quotes. There was this man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus. He was ashamed to come. <laughs> he was a great teacher in Israel. He should read the Old Testament, particularly the prophets. And he comes to Jesus, Lord, we know you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus changed the subject. It's necessary that you be born again. That reminds me of a faithful of years ago. George Whitfield. George Whitfield sparked off the great awakening in the United States. That, well, it wasn't the United States in the colonies, the British colonies. <clears throat> he was a tremendous preacher. And he always seemed to preach on one subject, the new birth. <laughs> and someday I came up to him and said, Whitfield, don't you ever, why are you preaching on the new birth all the time? And he said, because you must be born again. <clears throat> What Jesus said, 
Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in the second answer to Nicodemus, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, which is born of flesh, is born of spirit of spirit. Do you not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again? <clears throat> said, let me quote from one of the prophets of the Old Testament. This is from Ezekiel chapter 36, and this is clearly related to the new birth. I think almost all scholars admit this is all that this is related to the new birth. This is what Nicodemus should have known. It says this. This is the eighth thing that I have here. <clears throat> then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and you will walk in my statutes and you shall be careful to observe my ordinances. <clears throat> now, what was Jesus saying? Water and spirit. This scripture speaks of both. Then they will sprinkle, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And moreover, I'm going to bring about a great change in your life. I'm going to take out the heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Take out the heart of stone and give you a, a, <clears throat> a heart of flesh. Why do you need to take out the heart of stone? Because that's what we were born with in Adam. All of us were lost in Adam. But all of us are saved in Christ. That's why we need to be born again. Because a new birth takes you out of Adam and puts you in Christ. Here's a scripture from Genesis chapter 8. This is right after the flood had taken place. And God speaks to Noah, and he says this, For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. The intent of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Or from that change that takes place in a person's life in about the age of 12. <clears throat> That's why we need to be born again. We find that in the scriptures written by Paul that he uses the word new birth frequently. He uses also the word in Christ. He uses it 135 times. Now, as I was studying the word of God, this was some time back, I said, I want to know what's the alternative to being in Christ. Well, there's a scripture that tells us that. <clears throat> It's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as in Adam all die, and in Christ all will be made alive. We're, we started out dying in Christ. 
But when we were born again, we came alive. We started out being dead in Adam, but we, we then completed by being born again in Christ. Let's move on forward. After the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus were hiding out. They were locked in a room that had 17 locks on it. <laughs> that might be a slight exaggeration. <laughs> but they were hiding out. They were scared to death. They got Jesus. Maybe they're going to get us too. So, Number 11 in my scripture listing here. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he had showed them both of his hands and his side. <coughs> and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I have also sent you. Now here is a, an example of the ministry, the passing of the ministry to them. And he's passing his ministry to them. He's passing it on to them to be carried out. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this happens to be in the imperative mood. You know what imperative mood means? It means do it now. Don't wait a minute. <laughs> and so he's not talking about Pentecost here. He's talking about the imparting of the new birth to his remaining disciples. It is also the beginning of the new creation. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This reminds him of what God did when he made Adam. He made Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils and he came alive. And here, Jesus repeats the same thing. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But this was the beginning of a new creation. A new start on everything that was to come forth. Let's go on to number 12 in my list. But when the kindness of our Savior and His love to mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of that which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, Paul has this scripture. It's, in, it's from Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> it's a very important scripture. That's Paul's affirmation of the new birth, because he talks here about um, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds we've done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration basically means the same thing as, as the new birth. Now, who's doing this? The Holy Spirit is doing it. And he makes that plain. 
The Holy Spirit is doing this. But then he shifts. And he says after that, But according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit brings about the new birth. Christ brings about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every time the baptism in the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Scriptures, it's Jesus that's pouring it out. Sometimes it uses other words for that, but it is Jesus that is pouring it out. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So this is different from the new birth. The new birth is the work of, of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> but this is the work of Christ pouring out the Holy Spirit into our lives and upon us. <clears throat> Let's quote now from John. This is number 13. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. He remained on him, and I did not recognize him. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom the Spirit descend, descending and remaining, this one is the one who baptizes the, with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Now there are some Christians that say, no, that's not true. We've got a scripture in Romans chapter 12, 13 that proves it's not true. <coughs> But what we find here, I'll read this. For even as the body is one, and yet many of its members, and all the members of the body, though they be many, are one body, so also is the Christ, for whom once in one spirit we were baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, all made to drink of one spirit. But once again here, he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the work of Christ. It's clearly different and distinct. <clears throat> now, this is part and parcel, really, I think, of the new birth, that you get placed in the body of Christ. But that is not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to say this because there, <clears throat> there's a lot of confusion going on, but if you really look closely at what the Scriptures say, it becomes very plain that there are two separate things that we're talking about. Next, verse 15. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which we both see and hear. <coughs> Jesus received the Holy Spirit from the Father and He poured out upon the 120 people that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Jesus poured them out and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He also told them one of the things that would take place after that, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive the Holy Spirit as he has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all part, remote parts of the earth, including Burundi, too. <laughs> That's included in the Great Commission. 
And I'm happy that we have a man here that's going out to undertake that commission. Okay, so part of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that we have power. But I'm not going to speak on this right now. Others are going to speak on it as well. I want to talk about what happens in the inward parts of a person when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here he says in, in the 17th verse that I have, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He may be with you forever, for this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him, but you know him, and because he abides with you, he will be in you. Okay, now let's just imagine. These guys have been with Jesus for three years plus. But now, all of a sudden, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. Don't you think they would be a little bit disappointed? (laughs) Probably a lot disappointed. No, no, don't go back to the Father. Stay here with us. We need you. But Jesus had something else in plan. He said, I'm not going to abandon you. You're not going to be orphans. I'm not just going to leave and leave you and you're on your own. Try to work this out as best you can. No, no, no. What he said is going to happen is that on that day, which is the day of Pentecost, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. You're going to know that I am in you. And the Father is in you also because the Holy Spirit manifests the Father and the Son as well as Himself. Some people can determine which one they're talking to at one time. I can't. (laughs) So, He said, also, after that, He says, but I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, he'll come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The first helper was Jesus. Okay? He talks about the first helper. I'm giving you another helper. I'm going away. I've been your helper here now for three and a half years, but now I'm going away, but I'm going to give you another helper. And this helper is actually better than me because he can be everywhere at the same time, and I can't be. Not in my present state. I can't be that. I can only be in one place at one time. But I'm going to give you another helper, and he's going to be with you forever. He's never going to leave you. He's always going to be with you. And He's with you in the midst of everything that you do. He's your helper in preaching in Burundi. In whatever whatever else one may do. I tell you, 
It is to your advantage that if I go away, if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go away, I will send him. You are better off with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Let me give you a testimony to end this. There's a man that has been in this church many times. He's passed away now. His name is Prim Perdon. He had a lot of stories to tell. Prim Perdon was won to the Lord by a man named Bok Singh, who was an evangelist in India. He had enlisted in the Indian Army during World War II. And the British taught, prospered, or promised all things to people if they joined the army and helped them to defeat the Japanese. So he went there, and they let him, let this boxing come in and preach to the people. And he got saved. By the way, boxing was in Columbus in 1975. And I did go to the meeting, and he is a powerful preacher, even though he was in his old age then. <coughs> So Prim Pradhan decided he was going to go back to his native country of Nepal after the war was over. And there were hardly any Christians at all in that country. And he began to preach the gospel. And many, 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 many people got saved. But he held off on one thing, water baptism. Because he knew that the king would come down upon him and arrest him if he baptized these people. But he went ahead anyway and did it. And so he got thrown in jail as a result of this. Moreover, <coughs> they decided they were going to kill him because they had a little hut outside the jail. Now, this is in the Himalayas, I presume, where it gets pretty darn cold. And he couldn't stand up in this hut, and he couldn't lay down comfortably inside. And it was really, really cold. Well, all of a sudden, one of the jailers heard him yelling and screaming. And he came out there, and he says, is somebody else in the hut with you? Yes! Jesus is in here with me! And that's why I'm yelling and screaming, because he is with me. Well, this jailer did not know quite what to do, so he went back to the chief jailer and said, you know this guy... <clears throat> that we've had out here in the hut for a long time. He hasn't died yet, and all the others have died by this time. Maybe we ought to take him out of the hut and bring him back in the jail and let him live. And so the chief jailer said, okay, you go out and get him and bring him back. He was rescued because Jesus was with him. He was not afraid of freezing because Jesus was with him. He was not afraid of death because Jesus was with him. And he knew that he had much more work to do in Nepal because Jesus was with him. That is the manifestation of the interior part of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is in you, he works with you in the field, but he is also in you. He is in you. And that is my conclusion. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.